Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. We've got a little bit of a different kind of episode today. While talking with Una McCormick last week about The Way of the Warrior, the fourth season premiere of Deep Space Nine, I got to thinking about the fourth season of DS9 as a whole. Season four, or the midpoint of a Trek series, is usually where things start to get rolling. The show has found its voice, the actors are settled in, the writers are ready to take some real chances. Next Gen's season four opened, of course, with the second half of the classic Best of Both Worlds, Voyager kicked off its fourth season with the second half of Scorpion, which introduced Seven of Nine to the show. And Enterprise, well, you you just keep doing you, Enterprise. And so this week, we present an in-depth discussion of the highs and lows of season four and how it fits into the saga of DS9 as a whole. But hold on, that doesn't mean the Trek world at large just stops, because I want to stop and smell the roses a little bit. There's some pretty big Trek news items to report, and we need to do that fast, so let's get underway. First up, this is semi-breaking news and heartbreaking news, but Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth have walked away from salary negotiations to appear in Star Trek IV, which is currently under development. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Pine and Hemsworth were expecting Paramount to deliver on deals in place for their salaries, and Paramount, in light of lackluster returns from Star Trek Beyond, was looking to cut their compensation to rein in the budget for the new film. At this point, the way forward is unclear. Star Trek IV, under S.J. Clarkson's direction, is still going forward, but whether Pine and Hemsworth roles will be cut or recast is unknown. And it would be pretty difficult to recast Chris Pine at this point, right? I mean... George Kirk is dead, so I guess you can just cut that out. But it would definitely change the planned story for Star Trek IV, which would feature time travel and bring George Kirk back, at least in the initial planning stages. But yeah, it's going to be tough to do this sans Kirk. More on this as it develops. But it's not all casting problems for Trek projects. Sometimes it's casting solutions. And Star Trek Discovery has one in the form of Ethan Peck, who has been cast as adult Spock for season two of Discovery. According to Alex Kurtzman, a.k.a. The Kurtz, I'm going to call him The Kurtz from now on, calling him just Kurtz, makes it sound like he's going to cut the head off a water buffalo or something. Uh, The Kurtz said, quote, We searched for months for an actor who would bring his own interpretation to the role, an actor who would effortlessly embody Spock's greatest qualities beyond obvious logic, empathy, intuition, compassion, confusion, and yearning, end quote. Fun fact, Ethan Peck is the grandson of Gregory Peck, and although he doesn't have a ton of credits to his name just yet as an actor, he has appeared previously on Gossip Girl and the 10 Things I Hate About You series on ABC Family. Peck may have Leonard Nimoy's severe features, but this won't necessarily be the Spock we've come to know from the original series and TOS films. Says the Kurtz, quote, The Spock that we meet is 10 years before Star Trek the original series, so he's not formed in the same way that he's formed by the time you get to TOS. What we will learn is a lot of what made him the Spock that he was and what will make him the Spock that he is, and it has to do with his family and his sister, end quote. 
Okay, that's going to make a lot of people mad, probably, but uh, I'm willing to roll with it. The Kurtz. Okay, I see now that this choice of mine is unwieldy, but I'm going to stick with it for at least this episode. The Kurtz was a screenwriter for 2009 Star Trek and its sequel, Star Trek Into Darkness. And both of those films feature a more emotional Spock than longtime fans are accustomed to. So it's a safe bet that we may be seeing a Spock closer to the one played by Zachary Quinto. Which again, good idea? Uh, I don't know. The second season of Discovery is starting to sound like a long-form meditation on the cage. The first unaired pilot of the original series which itself is a premise that's both encouraging but fraught with possible pitfalls. The staff of Discovery has always maintained that they are bringing Trek back to its roots, and you can't really get any rootier than what they're attempting to do here uh, unless we meet Captain Robert April, so here's hoping that they don't miss the new storytelling potential for the old canon trees. But, you know, Spock was really happy about that singing plant in the cage, so I guess we've got that. Star Trek Season 2 is set to premiere in January of 2019. Star Trek fans are always hungry for new information about upcoming projects, and sometimes that news can come from unconventional sources. In this case, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Take that, Variety! CBS recently registered trademarks on two names recently, leading fans to speculate that they may be titles for some of the planned new Trek series. The registered names are Star Trek Reliant and Star Trek Destiny, which are two words that are pregnant with possibility for in-the-know Star Trek fans. Reliant, of course, was the name of the ship commandeered by Khan in Star Trek II, leading some to speculate that this might represent the Khan series that Star Trek II director Nicholas Meyer has been reported to be working on. Which would be weird, because he has the ship for like 24 hours, so it would be hard to squeeze 8 to 10 episodes out of that, unless you go by the book. If we go by the book, like Lieutenant Samick, hours could seem like days. And Destiny, other than being a spiritual concept, or a kind of bland but inspiring title for a Star Trek show, is also the title of a novel trilogy by former show guest and ovenless man David Mack. Mac has been tight-lipped on the prospect of his novel series, inspiring the proposed series. And seriously, I've been trying to get intel out of this guy for years, but he's like a clam with lockjaw. He makes Sergeant Schultz look like Michael Cohen. I see nothing! I know nothing! Wow, that was like simultaneously the oldest and newest reference I've ever done. It's like drinking Franzia out of a Calabash gourd. And good night, Mrs. Calabash. We're heavy. Yeah, let's get back on track. Uh, no word. No one knows anything, nothing about any details on the new series. One note, however, the Star Trek Countdown comic book series does depict Picard as becoming an ambassador in his later years. And as that comic was written by The Kurtz, and he's developing the new Picard series, it seems likely that that's the direction they'll go in. But that, and the idea that Star Trek Destiny will feature the last stand of the Borg, is still hypothetical. You, however, can get ahead of the hypothetical curve. You still have a chance to get David Mack's Destiny trilogy of books for a buck a book in the month of August on Amazon.com. It's a great series, and proceeds go to getting Mack a new oven. No more takeout Chinese for this guy. Let's get him back to home-cooked meals. 
You can also get season one of Star Trek Discovery on Blu-ray, all 15 episodes of Star Trek Discovery in HD, plus two hours worth of bonus material, like behind-the-scenes interviews and featurettes, looks at the work of the makeup, props, and special effects teams, plus deleted and extended scenes. The four-disc Blu-ray set is available on November 13th, so pre-order it now. I'll include links to the Destiny Trilogy and the Discovery Blu-rays in the show notes. When you purchase those through our links on Amazon or by clicking through our shop Amazon banner on enterprisingindividuals.com, a small percentage of the purchase price comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep the warp core lit here at the show. Also, if you want to go above and beyond in your support of enterprising individuals and you want to become a member of our crew, head to patreon.com forward slash EIST pod to contribute to the show. Episode commentaries, live shows, show merch, and more are available to crew members. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. If I seem like I'm rushing through this, I am because I want to get to my talk with special guest Mikan Hanna of the Just Enough Trope podcast, who joined me to talk about the fourth season of Deep Space Nine. It's a great talk and it's great listening for any DS9 fans. I'll be back at the end of the show to let you know what's coming up next week. Here it is. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for a special special event. Uh, I'm also joined by Mikan Hana, who is co-host of the Just Enough Trope podcast. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are how's you? It, how's, I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great now. How's it uh, going over at the Just, Just Enough Trope podcast? Uh, it's going great. Uh, we just talked about Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. Yeah. Uh, That's burning up the charts. It is. Uh, doing doing quite well. And uh, uh, let's see, what else did we talk about? We talked about... The Return of the Fantastic Four to oh, comics interesting. as well. Yes. Um, now that the whole Fox thing's worked out. Yes, exactly. Uh, I guess they can be a Marvel movie now. <laughs> right. Exactly. So now Marvel can continue to write for them. And they're going to... Do you pull back in like the old... Do you get Miles Teller and everybody back on board and then you try to do like a new better one or do you Ooh. just start from scratch? I think you start from scratch. Yeah. I, what about a prequel? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry, let's hope. Just not. thinking about it That's for, a bad for the idea. Trek brain. Yeah. <laughs> if you gave it to Trek, Dallas Kurtzman, it would absolutely be a prequel. Probably. Read in college. Oh come on! No, farther, farther. Read in elementary school. Oh okay. I was gonna, I was picturing baby Reed. Like he's just <laughs> practicing being stretchy. He's, he's a like, stretchy baby. Yeah, exactly. He didn't get his powers until you're right. He, he didn't get adult, his powers but, yeah. until later. So. Yeah, but no, it's no. I get it. Little little Fantastic Four. Yeah. 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 Bouncing baby boy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I made of rocks. Well, thanks for coming on. And no, no, uh, we're uh, <laughs> you are made of rocks. Uh, you're here uh, today to help me break down season four. Yes. Which is something that we've never done before. Four, four. That's three fours. That's a lot of fours. That's Twelve. Fantastic yeah. four. Yeah. And uh, we've never done this before, and I think it's important. Uh, we talked on the last episode with uh, Una McCormick mm -hmm. about how season four, uh, episode one, Way of the Warrior, is in a lot of ways a repiloting. Uh, yeah. if, if not a complete reorganization, it's definitely a, hey, did you, hey, wake up, wake up. Did you stop listening for a while? Well, <laughs> we got this going on now. We're back. Come check it out. Yeah. You like Worf? Yeah. We got Worf. Exactly. We got Klingon. People love Klingons. Uh, we got all that stuff. So why don't you come check this out? And um, for me, and we can talk about your experiences in a second, uh, it does represent that in some way, mm -hmm. although I would argue that in a lot of ways it interrupts 
the kind of great development they had going on. Yeah. Uh, since uh, definitely season two and parts of season three, I felt like was really leading to something. And season four is like, nope, stop. Put that on pause. We got a lot of screwing around to do. Yep. And we got to get some Klingons in here. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, we're not going to go episode by episode, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about the progression in season four okay. and some of the highlights and lowlights. First, mm-hmm. yes. what is your history with DS9? Um, this is my first time watching DS9. Um, mm. I um, had watched um, TNG growing up. Uh, probably didn't see every single episode, um, yeah. But have gone through a watch through since and seen every episode, yeah. Uh, and I would say my um, my love of TNG did not translate to me then watching D Space Nine or Voyager. Sure. Or I, I for I'm not sure what what it was. You don't have to make excuses. Um, I I know I but for we'll just judge whatever you reason, the way it is. okay, my Star Trek like enjoyment stopped after TNG and until I was an adult and now I'm watching D Space Nine. Had you seen the whole thing? Um no, I think I'm like I've just started season five now. Oh, okay. Okay. So all right. So that okay, so this is perfect. Yeah. Like you've just finished season four. Yeah. So not necessarily season four, like whole entire show so far for you. Uh do you have a favorite character? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to say Kira. Um, I really like her. She's feisty and, um, you know, she she really knows what she believes in and she has a strong moral compass, yet she also was working for the resistance and that sort of thing and did some kind of shady stuff during that time. So uh, I just think she's an, an interesting character. Um, I'd like to see what she gets up to. So. In season five? Not much. Well, not much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things Too bad. slowed down. Yeah. Too bad for that. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite episode? Or oh, like, if that's boy. too much, like a moment that jumps out for you? I, I don't know if I have a favorite episode. Um, it's I know it's Jake related. I know that. <laughs> just, just starting off. Um, I kind of like the episode where Odo like finds out he's, uh, you know, part of the dominion or like oh, the, yeah. he's you know sure um they find the he finds his people yeah um and i'm, I'm not sure what season that's in it's probably like two or something it's the end like of that. two yeah um i thought that was a good episode um uh i like the one where quark and um rom go back to uh visit their mom moogie i like moogie a lot yeah, sure so <laughs> okay yeah those uh, are a couple of my favorites yeah i find that um we, were, we must have been talking about this off the air but there's this thing in graphic novels like um you know watchmen by alan moore uh, or something else probably by Alan Moore, uh, where you're reading it and it's cracking along and it's a good pace and there's you know art and panels and a great story. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the page and it's like a text section. Yeah. You know, either presented diegetically as like a chapter from a book or just now we're going to tell it in uh, the narrative and text form. And it's just like whiplash. Like you immediately like, ugh. And Absolutely. I love reading. I love books. Oh, me too. And generally with something good, like something from Alan Moore, you start reading it and it's just as engrossing. If you'd picked it up and it was just Watchmen, the novel, like you'd probably right. like it just as much. But mm-hmm. there's something about that little hiccup, you know, like 
getting off the the moving walkway at the airport and now you're on land and it's like whoa now i have to walk yeah what? yeah exactly maybe it's using more of your brain but i kind of get that with ferengi episodes <laughs> and to this That's point i usually really like the i look forward to the ferengi episodes but when one comes up and we spend a little too much time with Rom and Cork in the opener, you know, or they show up right after the credits. It's like, oh, it's a Ferengi episode. <laughs> and then a little couple ticks go by and then I'm right back in. Uh-huh. But yeah, I get that too. Except for the Union one. I didn't really like that one a whole lot. No, I, that was... I thought that was kind of dumb. It was, it, it was not great. <laughs> we got to start a Union. Yeah, I know. Um, I do like Jeffrey Combs, though, whenever he comes back. Is he the um, the guy? What's his name? Gruff or Gronk or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. His <laughs> I can't name. remember his name either. Uh, but the guy with the his He's teeth. The FCA. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. teeth seem more pronounced than Rom and Quarks for some reason. Although Rom's got a real snaggle tooth going he on. He does. It's for just sure. Going, yeah, everybody's going north. That one's going west. <laughs> well. Um, we mentioned uh, Way of the Warrior before, and that's what starts off this season. And it's yep. really like, I, boy, I already covered this, and but it was a while ago, so if I get some of my facts, facts wrong, um, don't at me. Okay, but, I uh, won't. I think it's really like the first time uh, that they've tried to do one of these features right in the middle of a series. Okay. They do this once or twice again in Voyager, but they really envision this, you know, it's technically, it, you, you can split it in two for broadcast, but they conceived and shot this you know as a movie that this was like yeah. the ds9 movie you really need to watch it that way too i think um, yeah i couldn't even tell you what the split point is supposed to be or isn't it it's when they uh first piss off the klingons or whatever right something like that yeah yeah um but i would say more so than some other two-parters you really do need to watch it in one sitting yeah um what'd you think about them adding wharf to the crew well Okay, I was excited about it, but at the same time, because I like Worf, um, so was, you know, excited to see him back, but it's not as if they were lacking characters beforehand. <laughs> no. yeah. Um, I wasn't like, gee, you know what this is missing? A Klingon, or this is really missing Worf, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I really, you know enjoyed getting to see the other characters and and that sort of thing um and uh getting to know them i mean we also had chief o'brien who came over from tng so now we have wharf as well yeah but he becomes he's just a transplant like he if he wasn't there there would be some other harried uh you know engineering character who's got to stick his head in a tube every week we bring wharf over and you've already got a security officer who is really yes. in the mode of Worf. He's non-human. Mm-hmm. He's, I don't like to have fun, you know, or whatever. And right. he's basically the same thing. Yeah. And they do, like, once or twice, they do little things where they sort of clash. There is one episode specifically where... Yes. Uh, in season four, where they clash over who's in control of security here. I would I would not do it that way. It's right. Like, well, it's, I'm, the, I'm the constable. So. Yeah, stop underestimating me and stop like undermining my my job yeah but he's there ostensibly to advise on klingon matters and the klingons i just go away yeah for a while <laughs> the whole idea was and this is true like ira Stephen bear and robert here at wolf and to another degree uh ronald d moore were all planning 
out the broad strokes of the future Dominion War arc sure. that would take us to the end of the series. And at this point in the show, ratings were not terrible, but they weren't what Paramount was looking for. And Rick Berman uh, said, you guys got to shake it up. Sure. And so let's kind of repilot. We'll redo the song in the opening <laughs> thing because people couldn't skip it uh, like they can on Netflix back then. Yep. Uh, and also, let's add a fun character to the show, a fan favorite. So we got Worf. Sure. And they were like, okay, I guess we have to do this. But honestly, if they hadn't done it, we would have they, – they had never planned any of season four. I mean, sure. you always have like uh, Dax is reunited with – her old wife or something like that. Right. Like those ideas are always on the board. But as far as the progression goes, they just stopped that and just had a season where it was just a break. And then we'll just get back to it. So when we uh, come back in season five, that's kind of what they had planned to do at the beginning of season four. So they okay. took like an entire season, like an entire year off of this big plan that they had. And I'm... With the Dominion? Yeah. Okay. And I'm, you know, it's it's amazing. So a lot of them, if you listen to interviews or whatever with them, a lot of them look back on season four like, yeah, you know, we didn't, we were kind of forced to do what we had to do and it's fine. Um, they kind of, they're kind of lukewarm on it. But I'm amazed that they were able to, because a lot can happen in a year on TV. Absolutely. And remember, they're doing all this, this serialization against the will of people like Rick Berman. It's only because Rick Berman is going off to develop Voyager and so the boss isn't around that they right. even can come up with this stuff. But they basically had to like spring this on him like we're doing this now. Mm -hmm. And then they had to, oh, no, we're not doing that pitch. We got to wait a year basically you know, right. to, to pull this off. But they kept it together and kept their resolve to continue to do this. It could have spun off in a totally different direction. Yeah, it definitely could have. Um, I... I, I wonder um, why they felt like they needed to take a year to do it, though. Like, why they couldn't have started doing some stories about the Dominion and not have just had the Dominion in the background and the Jem'Hadar come up every once in a while. And It's because I, I think that Trek and when just, just watching, uh, going back through and like doing a rewatch of DS9, like I'm doing for uh, the Patreon shows, mm -hmm. you just see that, Everybody talks about like the serialization and it's barely there compared to yeah. your most basic, you know, cable or uh, or broadcast show. So, you know, Teen Wolf has more serialization sure. than than DS9 Last does. Last time on Teen Wolf. Yeah, it's basically just oh, I'm a, I'm a human now and that's and yes. then that's it and then something goofy happens and that's your reminder of what what happened before. Right. So Honestly, like, I think that they probably, I think their eyes are bigger than their stomach. I think if they had fired all that stuff off earlier, I don't think they would have known what to do with it. Everybody talks about how intense and good it gets, you know, in the later seasons, and it does, but I think they would have had to slow it down and there'd be less intensity, and I think people would still like it. I think they wouldn't remember it um, as strongly and as fondly as they do. Okay. I think it would have had to have been a lot more stretched out. Okay. Because, you know, like, the last half of the seventh season is like one long episode it's just like 12 hours oh wow okay um or i, I don't know don't quote me but um so yeah I, I you know you look at tng and there's there's a lot of bloat in the middle oh they get for sure real hot like at the end of season two beginning of season three and even into four they're pretty good and then just kind of wheel spinning throughout most of five and six and mm -hmm. into seven so 
Yeah. They just got their wheel spinning out of the way first. I guess so. <laughs> or even like if you look back in the first season, like the first no season idea. of TNG. They had no idea. Really? Well, that yeah, but I mean the first season yeah. DS Nine. Oh yeah. Like they had no idea what they're doing. No. And there's all this talk about, I mean, even in season four, I think like we're still not even getting into what the emissary is or what that even means. No, not really. First episode, you're the emissary. Yeah. Three years go by. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does the emissary do? Yeah. Um, nothing. Yeah. Not a whole lot. No. Officiate at ceremonies. Um, give a blessing here and there. Yeah. This is also um, season four is a season that is uh, free from Kai Wen. And from oh, that's true. Yep, Grand Nagus Zek as well. Oh, you're right. As far as loving Ferengi episodes go. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. And those two usually come up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So yeah, huh. that's weird. Well, let's look at some of the individual episodes. Okay. Um, we talked about Way of the Warrior. I do think that that is um, that's a pretty good episode. It's pretty strong. Yeah, um, and definitely it. You get that chance of. Or you get a chance to look at a familiar environment, but from a, another character's perspective, mm-hmm. but that character is familiar to us. Right. So instead of an episode where, let's say, some alien came on the station and you followed it from their perspective and they're like, oh, who's this weird smooth-faced guy and who's the guy that runs the bar? We're doing that, but we're doing it from somebody's perspective that we know. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Uh, former guest of the show, Robin Laws, would say uh, it's a noir structure. Right. Because Worf is coming into this thing and he's like, it was a stormy night, plasma stormy night when I came <laughs> on board. And he's got to talk to people. He's got to work work out, try to work people. He he goes drinking with that old Klingon to get the secrets and then he's got to come yes. back and, you know, yeah. Um, let's see. Does anything just immediately stand out for you? Uh, I know you wanted to talk fast about uh, The Visitor, which yes. is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> big two-hour movie there's photon torpedoes going off blowing yes. up and everything what's next i can't wait to see tony todd's got old makeup on what's what's going on yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um i just think the visitor um it kind of like it threw me for a loop like i think at the beginning i didn't even catch that the visitor, the young woman who comes in, I didn't even catch that she called him Jake Cisco. Mm. I didn't get it at first that this was Jake uh, as an older man. Who'd you think it was? Is it I, the thong I, song I guy? I thought maybe it was like Cisco's dad or something. Oh, okay. Um, I was really confused. Right. Uh, who but we haven't then, seen yet. I, I know. But then we find out, you know, he's a writer and he's written only one book and all this stuff. And and then he's like talking about, I'm going to tell you about when my dad died. And it's this really like kind of like gut wrenching thing that happens like in a split second. Like Cisco all of a sudden is dead. And you're like, wait a minute, Cisco's dead. Right. It's just like, what are you talking about? And then he kind of comes back and spurts. And then and then. <laughs> then Jake gets it, saves it because he kills himself. Yeah, yeah. Which is just like hey, he was really super old, depressing, and he had some weird disease that twenty fourth century medicine can't cure, so he was gonna die anyway. I know, but he like gave himself an injection or something like that. Well, yeah. Um. Yeah, and it, it so it would coincide with his dad showing up because his dad would show up. Every once in a while, I think like he just every kept couple it. Of years. Yeah, but I think he just kept it around just in case. I right. Yeah, 
Yeah. I never know if my dad's going to show up today and I'm going to have to kill myself. Right. People really like that episode. <laughs> we probably shouldn't say anything bad about it, but I did I, not like it. I just that's was a real good kind of depressed by it. Yeah, that's a real good mid-season or like late, se- like back nine type episode where mm-hmm. we've got it all set up, the conflict set up for what the finale is going to be. Here's a little calm before the storm kind of detour, right? And instead, they were like, they were so sure of this. We'll put this right up second at bat. Yeah, get that out there, and it, yeah. I think it was a bad placement for it. I think you're probably right. Um, I do like the episode that comes right after that, though, um, because season four is where we really start to get a lot more information about the Jem'Hadar. Yes. They become um, very uh, highly highly placed uh, and highly dreaded uh, adversaries at this point. Absolutely. Because before this, you know, it's a little kid. He's a little kid. Yeah, who grows up Running ridiculously around. fast. And then there's there's that one where Julian and Bashir, same guy, and O'Brien <laughs> uh, are on, on the planet. Uh, it's where we meet. I think it's called the Jem'Hadar. It's like where we meet uh, the Jem'Hadar. And they're with the Vorda, who's got telep- uh, uh, telekinesis. Oh, yeah. Um, which they never really use ever again. No. <laughs> they just decided, yeah, that's too powerful. We can't have these guys have telekinesis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you really like after this season when the Jem'Hadar show up, you're like, okay, this is a problem. Yeah. They're like the new Klingons. It used to be like Klingons yes. are real tough. Now we've watched Worf get knocked on his ass for over 10 years. So we're not scared <laughs> of Klingons anymore. I know. So now we got to be scared of <laughs> Jem'Hadar. Who need the white. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we, uh, set that up too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, uh, and what else did you like? I guess um, I'm not uh, sending you in any particular direction. I, I really liked um, the following episode. Um, oh, is this uh, the one where um, we, we get to meet Dukat's daughter? Yeah. 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 I, I thought that was a really good episode. And putting Dukat and Kira together and like Kira really does not want to be with him. They spend like, a lot all. of time humanizing Dukat in the fourth season. Yeah. This is where we really, he just, because first it's like we see him at the beginning of the show. Oh, this is the bad guy for sure. Yeah. Then he just appears on a monitor for like two and a half seasons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, this guy's just an administrator. And right. he's just the face of Cardassia. And then after he reappears in the flesh in Way of the Warrior, like you're going to see him a lot now. Yeah. And he's not going to be an adversary necessarily when you see him. He's just going to be... Cause, and, oh, and at this point, after going through the Obsidian Order episodes and The Wire, like we like Garrick now. Right. So I think it's really good because when... Ducat shows up, at least I unconsciously was like, oh, okay, maybe he could be another re- redeemable character. Like he's another uh, Garrick type character. Uh-huh. He's, no, he's not. He's not, he's not super redeemable. It's not going to be. No. <laughs> That's not the way it's going to be. He is, you like him or hate him, he is kind of full of himself. And he's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely sure of himself. Um, That's why he's a pirate. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's um, all about. And he sits on the thing with his butt or something, and then he's rubbing the he's rubbing the thing on his butt. And what? <laughs> there's that scene where it it was so crazy that I thought it was I thought crazy gas was coming in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's the part where he and Kira are have to camp out to get to yes. this uh, prison camp or whatever, and they're sniping at each other all day. Yeah. And then he like sits he sits on a spike or something and he hurts his butt oh that's right <laughs> and then and kira's kind of laughing at him and he's mad and then she gives him the the wand that they always wave over themselves when they get hurt right but he starts wa- waving it on his butt but he's got it like backwards or something 
<laughs> so she's laughing, she's laughing, and then he starts like, boop, 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 like yeah, that's with, right. It on his butt. I completely forgot about and that. And they're having such a good time that it's like, it, it's real. I think it's a well written scene because it's it's one of those things where it's like you're just so mad at somebody that you start laughing, kind of. Yes. Like you're wondering like what is, what is even going on. Yes. But I thought for sure. Oh, there's gas in this cave. <laughs> it comes from his butt. Yep. Yep. And and that's where we find out that he has a daughter who he had with a Bajoran woman. Um, so she's half Cardassian, half uh, Bajoran. Yeah. Um, her name is, is it Ziel? Sure. Is that her name? Okay. Um, and he originally went there so he could kill her. Yeah. Neat. But, uh, Kira talks him out of it. Oh, Thank God. Yeah. Come on. Rubbing on the butt guy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to kill anybody. No. <laughs> and that's, that's, it's definitely that character of Dukat, but it's also, I think the bravery or, or just the who, who gives a crap uh that quality that ds9 has is because they spend this whole time getting you to kind of like this character who you've you know not wanted to like who's been established as a villain since the beginning of the show yeah and then it's like <laughs> oh that butt thing was great so why are we here uh, i'm gonna kill my daughter <laughs> like what <laughs> suddenly you're ripped back to reality yeah exactly um like a lot of ds9 um the I feel like the ends of seasons are real strong. The beginnings of seasons, and we'll let the visitor come along, yeah, uh, sure. are generally strong. It's in the middle where we get in trouble. Where it gets kind of weak sauce. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and the fourth season's no different because we go right into Rejoined from there. Yep. Which I feel is a fairly strong episode. I think that it's a strong stance to take, or at least it's it's brave of them. I'm glad it exists. But I don't think it's quite as good as people remember it to be. No, and here's what, and I don't want to, I don't want to crap on it too bad. But here's sure. what I compare it to: um, Think about TNG, any TNG episode, pick any one, any mm-hmm. season. Jordy's doing a project, and somebody comes on board, and it's a lady or something like that, and they start oh. working on this thing, and he negs her a couple times because uh-huh. he's a red pill. And uh, but anyway, you know, or like or Riker, Riker gets assigned to work on this thing with his ambassador. If the ambassador's hot, mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen. Yep. They fall in love. By the end of the episode, no, we can't. Right. And then they fly away. Right. This is just that. Yep. Only instead of being, you know, somebody from TNG, it's Dax. And then it's, you know, uh, it's another lady. Yeah. And I think that part's great. But except for that. That plot's been done a million times. You know it's I mean? not like they they have this romance untold that we've never seen. Well, they were married story. before. Well, I know. Yeah, but I'm just saying that the structure is extremely conventional. No, for it Star is. Trek. It is. Yeah, I would agree with that. And they keep talking about like what the trill, the trill, what do you call it? Civilization hierarchy. Yeah. The Trill Kings. I Yeah, the Trill Kings. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're in L.A., watch out for the Trill Kings. Uh, <laughs> what they would do, but like, show us, don't tell us. Like, you keep telling me it's yeah. so bad. Right. But you guys live in the, on a space station in the middle of nowhere. And as far as the societal thing goes. Out? And I know that this is great. This is good for like the positive representation of like, and I know, you're not gay. It's both, it's the worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two ladies are kissing. That's the L in the LGBT. Right. So as far as like representation of LGBT, great. As far as acceptance, 
everybody, like all of her coworkers, except for Cisco, are like, go for it. Yeah. See you, see you tomorrow night right, for dinner. Exactly. Um, so that's great. But that means there's no conflict. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The only conflict is the people who live on this planet hundreds of light years away are going to be mad. And Cisco's yeah. like, you know, those people live on that planet hundreds of light years away. They're so, so mad. They're going to be right. so mad. And then, so what's the problem? <laughs> and then the lady's brother is like, you don't want to do that because they're going to be so mad. Yeah, but he's not, he wasn't, that part isn't written very well and the guy playing no, you're not, right. not great. So. You're right. Well, I just Yeah, feel... I'll come for rejoin. <laughs> I'm going to rejoin your fist with my I face. just feel bad for Dax because I feel like this is at least the second storyline where she's oh, been in man. love with somebody like Ghost Man. Yeah. And it didn't work out. Yeah. And she just like throws herself into these romantic situations like wholeheartedly, like just her entire self. Yeah. And she's just ragged at the end of it, you know? This is um, definitely one of the better Trill episodes. I think the Trill episodes suck. <laughs> They're not that great. Like the one where she has to episodes. go to the cave and like and the worms go are in the... go on the hot tub with the, with yeah. the sparky worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of connect with her host who was and not that great. And I didn't even like... Yeah. Um, is that this season? No, that was last season, isn't it? When she um, visits her own uh, old uh, uh, personalities or whatever. I think that was last season. Yeah, I don't. Like yeah, that one. that one was not. I don't like that one. Super strong. It's a. No. It's a. It's such a cool concept for a character, and they just don't ever. Maybe it's the constraints of TV because somebody who can live for hundreds of years mm-hmm. could just hang out and then meet up with Ghost Guy. Right. 80 or 100 years from now. Sure. And they could have like their romance or whatever. But we don't have time. We can't tell that story because we're not Farscape because Farscape would have the balls to do it. <laughs> uh, and because we're DS9, we can't do that. Well, and I also think what a fun episode for the other actors. They get to portray like one of her hosts and they get to do something kind of different. But other than that, what else does it really have going for it? Not a whole lot. Yeah. So, Yeah. Do you like Starship Down? Which one was Starship Down? Starship Down is, uh, well, it was written by a uh, guest of the show, David Mack. Okay. And um, one of these days, uh, John Ordover, uh, hopefully a guest in the future. Um, and that's the one where the Defiant, uh, it, it crashes. Does it crash? It gets attacked by Jem'Hadar. Okay. And then it like crashes and it's everybody's got to do a thing so like it's the one where like Jadzia and Bashir she's got to get drag him through the gas you know and then they end up in the compartment oh yeah and, I remember that and Quark and the other guy played by uh, James Cromwell um have to defuse the torpedo that's yes. come into the mess bay yeah yeah okay yeah uh no that was good um I thought there was a lot of drama in that Okay. Um, hey, why don't you give me one then? <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to okay. pass over Little Green Men? Um, I think we're good. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was that was cute. It wasn't it wasn't fantastic. Well, actually, no, I want to say something really fast. Okay. Because this will just this could just go right into our man Bashir as well. Okay. DS Nine tries the hardest to be funny, and if you try yes. more, you're going to fail more. And when True. I think about DS Nine being funny. A lot of the things I think of are the classic sort of bits by talented comedic actors like Armin Shimmerman and Andrew Robinson uh, or Rene Auberginois, where they're like, 
well, you know, Quark, you got a something, something. Well, if I something, something, I'm going to something. That's that's where I want the comedy. Right. And then if you want, Cisco wants to hug Jake or Dax wants to go, you know, and just kind of get her line in like she always does. Fine. But they always try to swing for the fences and just mm-hmm. go big and do like these full on comedy episodes. And yeah. it just feels really forced a lot of the time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like a James Bond pastiche set in the holodeck. Yeah. That seems like a no brainer. It seems like it writes itself. But then they do it and it's like, what's the point? Who cares? And then you have because everybody's on contract. Yeah. Nobody can sit home. Nobody's going to get the get the Marina Sirtis contract where you just disappear for weeks and weeks. Like no. everybody's got to be in every every episode. Some stupid thing has to happen where everybody gets sucked into the holodeck. Yes. This happens like when I say this happens every week, it's episodes like Arman Bashir that support my claim that yes. this happens every week. Yes, for sure. And then what do you ultimately learn? Nothing. Bashir's like, I like to come in here and be cool and drink martinis. Play James Bond. And then, yeah. And at the end, it's like, Garrick's like, this isn't what being a spy is. And he's like, I think it is. And he just totally wins because he does it his way. But at the end, Garrick respects him because he shot him in the arm. But who? Yeah, but that's, I know. So we've got this, (laughs) we've got this main character who I think we all agree has come a long way, but does need to get checked a little sometimes in his ego yeah not garrick oh. no bashir oh bashir yeah oh okay and then we've locked him in a world where all of his that the world that he created to satisfy all his stupid like urges and one where he can never fail because it's programmed to let him win right he wins in yes by making out with dax yes exactly which he's probably what am i supposed to for forever what am i supposed to walk away with from uh. that <laughs> I I I don't know, and it's not as if things have really changed at all at the end of that episode. Yeah. Um, no, no. I mean, it's it's totally just taking a break until we get to Homefront and Paradise Lost. Yeah. Which, no, I would agree with that. Which I talk about now. Okay. Um. It's 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 fun. <sighs> Espionage is fun, and I love it when the planet almost gets destroyed. Hey, what's going on on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> Espionage and the planet's almost destroyed. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did they know? How did they know? How did they know that this is exactly how it would go? They, all, all the way up to almost having a sh- scene where two shuttlecraft fly into the towers. Oh my gosh. On, <laughs> in wow. San Francisco. Wow. All right, they didn't do that. Thank but, God. But it's just like. I, this is what art is for, right? This yeah. art is for, you know, holding a mirror up to, to nature or to humanity. And, like, they basically just told us exactly what would happen. Like, What year was this again? Uh, 1996. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how they had any earthly idea, but, um, yeah. I think George Lucas was... Uh, George Lucas? <laughs> was, I, wrong show, but... <laughs> I keep getting it twisted whether, because I know George Lucas really took on, <laughs> George but W. Bush is running scared now. George Lucas is after him. <laughs> and I know he really took on like George Bush in the later prequels, but I can't remember if like the Phantom Menace, did they have an attack and then it's like, you're going to give me the power. I can't remember the either. The emergency power. That was more in the second one. Yeah, I think so. All right, whatever. Um did you, yeah. like, did you like Homefront and Paradise Lost getting a look at Cisco's and the alligator? Um, <laughs> I liked meeting his dad. Um, this is the first time we meet his dad, right? Yeah. 
um, who previously they had said had died, well, and they changed their mind. They luckily were very oblique yes. on that. They just glided right over it. Because Cisco is telling, what was it, like the second season? That Cisco's telling Something some guy, like, like so it's just like my dad, you know, you always want to say these things and then one day it's too late. So, it was something because like that. Because he got real sick so he couldn't hear me, but then he got better. So maybe I should, I got to go talk to my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that his dad still worries about him and he still makes like all the same food and like he's going <laughs> to run his restaurant no matter what. I like that, that, uh, that Nog uh, gets to hang out there. Yeah, I do too. Like. That's fun. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, he makes tube grubs for me. Yeah, which is which is awesome. Um, which that's he's the perfect restaurant tour <laughs> because think about all the preparation and the care and work that goes into Cajun food. Right. And Ram just wants or tube Snog grubs. just wants uh, tube grubs, chilled, not fricasseed, you right. know, uh, not like hot and spicy, just chilled tube grubs. Yeah. But he is so happy just to. To be a restaurateur and to have his patronage. Right, exactly. So. Um, I can't remember the guy who was in charge. I can't remember his name. But the guy who was in charge on Earth who Cisco used to work with. Admiral Layton? It's, it's, yeah, he's definitely an admiral because we all know you can't trust admirals. I mean, shouldn't we all know that by the, this time in well, PS9? Well, in 1996, maybe it wasn't that... <laughs> that uh, warn of a trope but okay but yeah um and uh i can't the was it the the cadets that um, red squad yeah red squad thank you yeah that um nog looked up to um and uh cisco and odo like taking this mystery and figuring out the clues and tracing it down and um Thinking the Dominion is originally involved, and then finding out it's something much more sinister. Yeah. <laughs> um, was I, I think that was interesting. Um, and it didn't like the Dominion like reach out to them at one point and say there were only like six of them or some some small amount of them on Earth. Everybody's supposedly. got an ironclad contract, so they all must appear. So right. for some reason, O'Brien just starts shows up. Oh right. And, and it's not really he's O'Brien. Like, oh, Chief, how'd you get That's here? Right. I don't. I haven't been fighting shape-shifting aliens for three years. I know. Chief, you got here so fast. I'm not really the chief. Oh, yeah. I guess I should have known that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, I I do like that's a pretty strong two-parter. I feel like Trek doesn't do a lot of two-parters, but <laughs> they're often not very good. <laughs> Well, you know the whole thing. It's just you watch an episode and it's like, wow, nothing's really happening here. This is taking a while. I bet this is a two-parter. Right. And then the second half comes back and it's usually... Somehow it's not like they saved all the good stuff for the second one. There is some good stuff, but then there's like, oh, let's talk some more, Cork, because we got to fill this out. Right. Because there's a big phaser battle at the end or something. Right. Um, Yeah, but that was pretty good. And that's like kind of the midpoint. And then, you know, who knows... If it'll hold up, right? Maybe, maybe there's an episode where Ducat becomes a pirate, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's an episode where Worf wipes his brother's memory. Yeah, that one was really bad. What the heck? Yeah, I I don't know where Worf with his 
honor and like doing the right thing no matter what um where he gets off erasing his brother's memory i know because and speaking of contracts like tony todd must have had some ironclad contract with them because he's you know he's he's old jake he's comes he's back as kern yeah he's all over the show yeah you're absolutely right um he must have been disappointed when they erased his memory too well, because it doesn't mean he can't be on the show again. I suppose. That's true. He just won't know Worf as his brother. I don't like that character choice um, for a lot of reasons. Because um, they, it it breaks the world for me. Because I don't believe a Federation citizen would do that. Right. And I don't believe a Federation doctor who is obsessed with ethics like Bashir would be like, well, get him on the table. Like, it just wouldn't. I know, but right? The worst, really, the worst part, though, is the episode... It's just he just jerks off for four acts and then they come up with this plan to wipe his memory, you know, and instead that's not drama like drama would be. Kern shows up. Kern, what are you doing here? And he's like, who are you? Kern's had this done to himself because he couldn't face the whatever. And then we spend, you know, a show him reacclimating himself and then maybe we get to a position where he asks Bashir to do it again because he can't take it or something like that I but think to, that would be way more interesting thank you but it just comes it just comes right at the end like what do you how do you solve a problem like Kern oh you just shoot him through the head basically I know like Wolverine I mean he has he has no choice in the matter whatsoever and that's I think really what is the most upsetting about it yeah um and that Worf feels like it's okay to make this type of decision for him. Yeah. So, yeah, that, one was, that one was real bad. Keep the Klingon thing going. There's the strike one, which I think we already said that we don't like all that much. No, it's not really that great. And, like, Lita's in it for a little bit. And she's like, yeah! Ooh! And she's making the faces up front. You've made you the know. audition. <laughs> yeah. You've got the role. Exactly. Well, she, you know... She, I know she becomes more important. Yeah, she later shows on, up more later. But, but when you just like, oh, this is the second time we've seen this character, right? Yeah, and she like represents the Davo girls, I think. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, there's now we were in the back nine, and it does it gets weird after this. Uh, there's the one where the guy sh- comes out of the wormhole, and he's like, "Oh, I'm the real emissary." Oh, right, uh, the poet who's been with the. Yeah. Profits for 200 years. Yeah. Yeah. But it'd be like if uh, Robert E. Lee came out of the <laughs> wormhole and we're like, wow, this guy was a general, huh? Right. Why is he putting all the black people in on one side of the room? Right. Uh, he's got some weird kind of ideas. And so. Yeah. And that's an interesting idea. So a couple of interesting things. Having somebody just show up effectively time traveling because they were stuck in the wormhole. Mm-hmm. Having somebody who also fits the prophecy of, you know, the emissary, which again, we're just learning about now because they haven't right. done any emissary stuff until now. Right. And then also the idea of a guy who, uh, you know, the fact that see, I felt like we did this a lot in the first season uh, and maybe the second season, like we're religious people. And right. so Starfleet takes everything on, you know, face value, data, scans, you know, readouts. And we're going to do things that don't make any sense sometimes because we've got faith and we're acting, you know, in, in things based on that. Yeah. And then it's all just, they go to the wormhole and they go, here, prophets, here, prophets. No, no, no. <laughs> here, prophets, come to me. Come right. on. I got a treat for you, prophets. Right. And they just solve it that way. I know. Dumb. 
Well, and then like we see Kira struggling with being an artist and she's <laughs> That was the best part of the episode, she, I think. She <laughs> she has all these crappy clay birds that yeah, she's made. That was the best part. And we learned that the Bajorans have a caste system. Yes. Which is like, whoa. Yeah. Which they abandoned after uh, the occupation. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh it was also just like a, an attempt by the writers to like just go, well. Are we commenting enough on religion this week right. <laughs> on Earth? Let's stick something else on there. Uh, mm-hmm. What about a caste system? Yeah. What if everybody had to pray in the direction of the wormhole like three times a day? It's like, right. guys, guys, put the brakes on. You've got it. <laughs> That's enough parallels. We understand. Yeah. And by the end, Cisco's the emissary again, and we're all thankful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the caste system goes away. I think that's. Um, I think Keiko's announces she's pregnant in that one. So. Oh, okay. And this is where you can tell that. So you usually shoot like 15, 16 episodes of a show, and then you kind of go on a little break, and you get renewed or not really renewed. They buy the last, you know, eight or nine episodes. Sure. And so that this is the first one back from that. So clearly at this point, none of the visitor has gone to the producers and was like, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to need a new, a much bigger pantsuit, <laughs> extra stretch right. in a little bit. Right. So they must've come up with this whole, all right, well, we'll just say, you know, it's gotta be sci-fi. So Keiko's going to have a baby, but then you're going to have a baby. Right. Which exactly. doesn't make any sense at all. No, um, no, it doesn't. Th- there is an episode in this season that is one of my least favorite episodes of Star Trek, period. What's that? That is the one where if the ship explodes, you s- put on some prisoner clothes. <laughs> where Ron Canada comes in to be a, a Klingon lawyer, which I must oh, imagine is yeah. a fairly new occupation for the Klingon Empire. I Yes. I can't imagine they have many. And... It's another script. So this script is by uh, Ronald D. Moore, okay. and the Bashir one is by Ronald D. Moore. Ronald D. Moore, I don't know if he's getting the crap jobs because he's the junior man here, or if he's like kind of still getting them chops. <laughs> Didn't quite have them yet because this is bad. It's not great. The James Bond one, I think, when you say it'll write itself, you have to, you do have to write it. <laughs> and this is the same one. It's like courtroom thing. We can drop in some flashbacks if we have to. It writes itself. Yeah. Does it? Or is like a is a Rashomon type thing where people talk to the camera, you know, overdone and not it's there's not enough going on and it's kind of boring and dumb. Yeah. I think Oh, that it one. is boring. It's boring and dumb. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm still rocked by the idea of a Klingon lawyer. I yeah. Isn't a Klingon lawyer a batleth? <laughs> this will argue for me. Yeah, I Case think dismissed. so. Yeah. Uh, and he's overly confident and um, antagonistic towards Worf, which was always great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, um, I don't know, maybe if we had seen exactly what had happened, it would have been a slightly better episode. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of courtroom drama what did you think i mean it wouldn't be a ds9 season without chief o'brien being tortured in some fashion no what did you think about hard time that's the one where he um, i'm making a circle yeah i'll kill you that one was really intense um (sighs) it ends with him with he's got a phaser to his own head yeah which is like 
come on, this is Star Trek. And uh, I know well, we talk about serious things. Yeah, but also but... there's a there's a conflict with. So in the current episode, he's like, uh, Worf, I want you to kill me. This is our way. And then Worf, right. <laughs> because we can't have Worf once again look like a crappy Klingon. You know, he does the deal. Like, he stabs Kern. We're ready to go. Right. And they're like, get him to the hospital. Oh, no. Exactly. You can't do that. I thought the Federation would be on the, the, the side of assisted suicide. You know, it's like your body, your business. We'll give you all the support you need, all the counseling you need. But ultimately, if you choose to do what you want to do with your own atoms, then it's up to you. Really? And they're really against that in the Kern one. But here... Bashir seems like, I mean, clearly Bashir doesn't want his friend to die and he's talking to him, but I felt like the attitude was more like, you can do what you want, but you had this on like 20, (laughs) it would have like blown a hole in the hull. Like, you know, you're endangering other people. Right. Right. I've got some things I can inject you with back in sickbay if you, no, anyway. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's intense. It is. And like, he has to admit that he was in the prison cell with somebody else in order for him to not be tortured by it anymore. Yeah. But I'm you're led to believe that his he has PTSD and like this yes. is not going away anytime no. soon. It's it's the Although same we as if we haven't seen it since. No, and it's the same as if you replaced Harry Kim with a Harry Kim from an alternate universe or if um you know if they had gone ahead and had uh Thomas Riker replace William Riker or something like that. Right. Like it's a huge deal. Yeah. And then we never talk about it again. I know. And he's like, well, can't you just erase it from my memory? And Bashir's like, I don't think we can. Even Dude, though- two episodes ago, you erased an entire... <laughs> Klingon's memory. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So it's like, what can you guys do and not do? And what is ethical and what is non-ethical? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Still, P- PTSD. Yep. It's important. But maybe your roommates hid that food for both of you. <laughs> so remember, college students. Oh, man. <laughs> if, if your Cheetos are gone, maybe your roommate is saving them so the both of you can have them <laughs> Share later. Share them together. Yeah. Yeah. Kill them. Weird. Um, I don't want to talk about the Mirror Universe one. I think this is like definitely the weakest of the Mirror Universe ones. It is. Also, um, it's like it's just another you know, brick in the wall of like, why is the Mirror Universe so similar to the regular universe? Our yeah. DS9 has a Defiant now, so now when we go to the Mirror Universe, it's like, have oh, we're working on this ship called the Defiant. Yeah, I know. Oh, neat. Real neat. <laughs> well, the thing that upsets me the most about this episode is that the Jennifer in, this, uh, in the Mirror Universe dies, too. And it's like, why did you guys have to have that happen? Good. Now, we'll never have to go back to the Mirror Universe. Right. We're, we're going we're back. We're probably going back. We're going back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... I don't know. It's just depressing. It's like it's bad enough that Cisco and Jake had to like go through Jennifer passing over in the real world. Now we have to go through it with her passing in the mirror universe as well. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the muse for just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I don't think it's a terrible idea. It's it's not a terrible idea. Um, I but it's executed terribly. <laughs> Yeah. It's not great. No. And it's another one of those. It's one thing if you are a show that is on in 1968 and you just go, oh, what the hell? We'll just have Kirk meet a guy that tells him that he's Shakespeare and Milton and he's been all these people or whatever. We'll never see him again. Who cares? It's Mm -hmm. a dumb show. Right. 
but instead you've got evil Lynn has apparently influenced or like done her like head massage to all the great yes. poets of uh, history and uh, and not even earth history other people yes and then these people just fly around and it's another one of those things where that's huge that's like huge. where do these aliens come from what if we're trying to come up with a great strategy like a battle plan to attack the dominion what if i could get evelyn to give me a head massage and we would come up with the best strategy <laughs> you know like section 31 is going to want to talk to these guys right but you can't shoot them they can just fly through space as and energy just disappear and yeah yeah and it's just like when there's i hate it when there's no consequence when the aliens just f off at the end of the episode like i, I like it more when they die or they have to stick around or they're still part of the universe because you know we're never going to see muse aliens ever again no uh-uh so who cares exactly and the book that he, she helps jake write is anselm or whatever it's the book from the visitor from the visitor so yes. what does that mean that that timeline i guess he just still writes the same book or something i guess so <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope he writes more than one book in the new timeline, you know? Um, yes. But, yeah. And he's all like, I can't write it without her. And his dad's like, yeah, you can. Get your little uh, future stylist there, because that's what people will be using on a screen in the future. Right. There's no way you could just simply touch a screen. Right. would have a keyboard on it, even though we do that in our ships <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, and then she makes You're him write on paper. You're definitely need a stylist. Yeah, yeah. Old so school. really ancillary, yeah. She's an old school energy sucking ghost. Yes. <laughs> and Luana, Luana Troy is pregnant. But yes. I'm not talking about that. Yep. I'm not talking about that. Okay. <laughs> um, anything else? There's only a couple more episodes left. Uh, um, there's the one where uh, Cisco thinks that Cassidy's working for the Mackey. Uh, yeah. There's the one where... The Cisco teams up with the um, good Jem'Hadar to fight the bad Jem'Hadar. Yes. Uh, I think that's the first appearance of Wei-Yoon, too. Okay. Um, once again, Jeffrey Combs. Yep. Bringing it. Um, I did think that one's good, but it's one of those episodes where I, I don't have anything to say about it. Like, I really enjoyed it, but it's just... A lot of these like later episodes that are like, ooh, there's maneuvers in the war, and we're doing this, and we're talking about how war is so bad or whatever it's, oh, it just makes me oh i don't know how to get through it it's kind of the same beats i know they're well delivered and they're exciting but it's like a well-made action movie isn't i think as artistically important as like a costume drama <laughs> you know that's really sure. you know what i mean it's like it's like uh the matrix versus hamlet like i think hamlet's probably more important yes but doesn't sell as much as the matrix that's true so this it's like a, an exciting episode, and I like how the Jem'Hadar, once everything's wrapped up, they're like, good? Okay. Just shoots way in. <laughs> like, I was like, what the hell? We're going to do our own thing now? We're just going to hang out here. They're like, we don't like how he second-guessed us, yep. so he's dead. He didn't respect the founders. No. It's got to go. Yeah, exactly. I know you have thoughts about this. There's one episode I want to end this on, okay. but it's the second from the end. So quick, we'll talk about body parts which is the second to last one, yep. which is, once again, Jeffrey Combs and Tony Todd are like the fifth Beatles of this season. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one where the TCA guy takes yes. all the Quark stuff. It's got a cute end, but how does how did they squeeze five acts out of it? Like, I, it's not really... I don't know. Yeah. And then the, fu the finale is, uh, again, it's another Matrix versus Hamlet one for me. Like, it's interesting, it's exciting, but 
what happens in that episode? Odo goes back to the Great Link and they kick him out and make him human. Yes. That's all that happens, That is all that happens, yes. And Garrick tries to blow everybody up to kill the founders. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Garrick. <laughs> See you in prison. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to talk about the quickening. Okay. Which, in my opinion, is, I think, might be, I don't know if it's the best, but I think it's my favorite episode. Okay. And the reason is, is because it takes you on a journey, or at least it took me on a journey, where I was like, this episode's going to suck. And then it's like, oh, this episode, this might be good. Oh, this episode is really good. And I'm glad to see Bashir that we're still, Bashir has always felt like a very two-dimensional character to me. Sure. Yeah, I get that. Um doctor who's got kind of some swagger and young doctor who's i'm gonna go frontier medicine he's naive he doesn't get it you know a gifted uh nath and then what happens he grows up and gets more experience Mm -hmm. that's it right so how do you add nuance to that and they do it by what like i was saying what i thought was going to be this is unoriginal having you know challenging that again so he finds a problem that he thinks for sure i can take care of yes and then he, I wasn't, so I was watching the episode and I wasn't really paying attention to like how long it had gone. And when he had failed, I thought, well, there you go. That's the whole episode. That's I think I, I can do too. it. Oh, I can't. Yeah. And he gets taken down a peg uh, in his ego once again. But the episode, there's two X left. Mm-hmm. And he then re-entrenches and sticks around and like does it again. And he succeeds. And... Maybe I watched too much like Breaking Bad or something, but I did kind of feel like maybe he should have just completely failed and it should have been a bummer type ending. But this is Star Trek. He succeeds and it isn't necessarily because of his genius. It's just because he refused to let go. Yeah. Which I don't know if you are any other kind of job. Maybe you should walk away at some point. Right. Count your losses. Yeah. But as a doctor... And not even a doctor, as just like a caregiver, like just somebody who is there to support and do everything you can for somebody. He just refused to let failure, with the help of Dax, of course, she smacks him down with the speech. Uh, He refuses to let, you know, that discourage him and he just sticks around and ends up winning just because, you know, he does half the work and just nature kind of does the rest. Like, Mm -hmm. your baby's, your baby's healthy. Yeah, exactly. You're all dead. Yeah. Every one of you is absolutely going to die. Definitely going to get <laughs> Very you. soon. Yeah. Uh, and then this will be a nursery planet or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what do you think about that? The gross people? Um, your your gross blue stuff has turned gross red. Oh, you're going to die. Know. And there was a lot of um there's assisted suicide in that episode. Yes. You're absolutely right. What is DS9 season four trying to tell us about assisted suicide? I don't don't know. Executive producer, Jack Kevorkian. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, Bashir and Dax are like horrified when they find out that's what's going on. But, um, yeah, yeah. uh, So like the doctor there, you know, they're like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Um, and he's like, I just help people. You know, they come here to die, so I help them die sooner. Right. <sighs> so and, yeah, yeah, and that was um, that was kind of a non-starter. His character, I thought, uh, it's played by Michael Zarazin, uh, who is a very talented, very famous actor, and he's just like, get out of here. And later yeah. on, he's like, why haven't you got out in it? Gotten out of here. And then at the and end, he's like, later he's like, hey, you figured it out? Can Great. Can you teach me? Yeah, teach me how to do it. Teach me the ways. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so it not, it's not all perfectly developed. No, but. it's not. Um, and and I mean the the pregnant woman who um is helping Bashir and everything and trying to get other people to help too. Like, um, I th- thought she did a really good job. Yeah, she's very good. Um, and uh, she, you know, really believed in him. Even she was going to have her baby, even if she died. So. Yeah, and that's where I thought that it was going to kind of go because it wasn't he was making these em- the empty promises of a guy with too much self-confidence. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I thought yes. that the lesson would be she's going to die in a horrible painful death and her baby, you know, will die by proxy because she believed this man who was so confident in telling her that he could solve all of her problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that kind of happened. <laughs> I mean, she died. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it turned, but it, that was not what it was. It, it reminded me a lot of the gas mask episode of Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Uh, whatever it's called. Like, are you my mommy or I, whatever? I know what you're you know? talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's like horrible and people's faces are getting turned into gas masks and yeah. everybody's dying and little kids are dying and, and, uh, but he gets the fairy dust or whatever, and he's like, "Everybody gets to live this time," and he yes. like, and then heals everybody, and yes, it, then they probably get blown up by bombs in the blitz later. Oh, but stop. yeah, it reminded me of that because it's like every in everybody's you know every writer's book, this ends with Bashir. You're so dumb to think that you could do this, and we're doing this to show that the Dominion, who you know is kind of absent from a lot of these episodes, they're still around. And that yeah. you don't mess with them. If you mess with them, they will make you, they will destroy your civilization. Basically. They left this disease on <laughs> this give planet you 200 years gross ago. Gross things on your face. Yeah. 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 So the way that episode ends is we just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Right. It's like the one where we lose Kaiopanka. Right. We go to that planet and it's like, it's just nothing we can do. She Mike has from to Breaking stay here. Bad, I'll just be fighting people forever. Right. In the road company of Starlight Express. Right. So I like the fact that they could pull a, pull a victory from the jaws of defeat. I like that too. Um, would have been great if she got to live a little bit longer than she did. <laughs> she literally she she does a she, Padme. She does Padme. She does. The kid's born and she literally. Ugh. Yeah. Which is Luke disappointing. <laughs> Well, there are a couple births. Um, there's a couple uh, suicides or attempted suicides. Yep. Uh, what mm-hmm. are what did we learn from season four of Deep Space Nine? Did we learn on the show? Um, no. <laughs> um, gosh, I think we learned. Uh, you know, you gotta keep on glowing through some hard stuff unless your brother has dishonored you, and then you get your memory wiped. <laughs> Um, yes, <laughs> I think that that works. But if you live out a prison sentence, there's nothing we can do for you. Yep, you're screwed there. Yep. Um, uh, the Jemadar are bad news. The w- Divinion is bad news. Yes, uh, we learned that Kira's got to stop uh, following Dakot to a second location. Yep. Um, she keeps finding herself alone, <laughs> like in rooms with him. Yes. Uh, and then we uh, learn in a later episode, I think a season five episode, that like he's, oh, I just like to pick girls out from 
from the station. And it's like, I'm just going to talk to you. Have some canard. Well, that's how far we get, but come on. Right. What happens after that? Right. Exactly. Stay away from him, Kira. Yeah. He's got a thing for Bashir women. Yeah. I mean, Bashir women. Bajoran women. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Bashir he certainly does. Women. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Dominion are, are a growing threat. Yes, for sure. Um, and they will mess you up. If you mess with them, they will unmake you. Yeah. So, sorry, Odo, you're solid now. I kind of wish that we could, you know, if this was first game, or if this was just some show that did more, you know, um, linear storytelling, um, somebody, like one of these crashes in the Gamma Quadrant is more permanent. And so, I don't know, O'Brien, Bashir, and... Dax, let's say, and throw Quark in for fun, uh, crash on a planet, and then they get, like, the Defiant can't find them. They find some way off the planet, but they go to another planet, and we go on, like, a little mini tour of the worlds of the Dominion, because the sure. Dominion connotes that they are dominating a large yes. amount of worlds Yes, that's larger than the Federation, and all we ever see is, like, a ghost planet every once in a while. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that's scary about the Dominion is that they literally could be anywhere mm-hmm. and they could would not know. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's just um, and the Jem'Hadar will do everything within their power to pay attention to and listen to and respect the founders. And, um, you know, they're really serious about that. And if their own subordinates mouth off to them. Exactly. Kill him. Why didn't you kill your subordinate? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, because I can't kill him. Because <laughs> Worf would mop the floor with me. Yeah, exactly. He does what he's told. Yeah. Uh, he, he lives on the Defiant. That's something else. I know. We got all this trouble. Let's and introduce a new character. How do we integrate him? Mm, we don't. Yeah, exactly. He just, like, He's going to be his own I'm having trouble self. doing this, even though I literally. Cold. I've literally crossed every boundary you can expect an alien who's joining the Federation to cross. Somehow living on a Deep Space Nine space station is too much. Yes. And so I'm going to live on board the Defiant. Yeah. What? Because I feel I think you couldn't there. afford to build wharf quarters. Yeah. We don't really <laughs> see his quarters on the Defiant No, either, they'd, just be, they'd just be Odo's quarters with the jungle gym taken out. Yeah, but, you exactly. Know, uh, yeah, I don't know. They misplaced all the. Um, no, uh, we see something later on. Is it so when where he stabs Kern? That must be like Kern's guest quarters or something. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. They, Cause I got, feel like, like it's on the station. Yeah, they got curtains like drapes on the wall and a yeah. big incense burner, like you would. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's Worf's little room on the Defiant. No, that would be um, much smaller. Where does he put all his batleths? That's a really. It's got to be question. like chock a block batlets in yeah, there. Yeah, I know, right? Just stacked up, and that big thing that is like—is it a sculpture or is it like a karate practice thing? Remember that? <laughs> With the arms. Yes. Did he bring all that over from the Enterprise. You would think so. No, no, it all got blown up. That's right. Oh, you're right. <laughs> it all got blown up on Viridian Three. He had to get a new batlet. <sighs> it's a complicated life. Yes. I was Starfleet officer. Uh, everything he uh, owns now fits in a round suitcase. Right. A cylindrical suitcase. <laughs> well, uh, where can people find you online? What's coming up on the Just Enough Trope podcast? Um, people can find me at uh, at Mikan Hana on Twitter or um, uh, justenoughtrope.com. Um, 
Let's see here. What is coming up next? Um, I think we're going to be continuing to read uh, the Fantastic Four comics as they come out. Oh, neat. And we're going to be talking about The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, which is an uh, anime movie. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I've seen a thing for that. That's by um, Masaki Yuasa. Yeah. Who is... Um, he did uh, Devil Man Crybaby on Netflix. Yes. Which is available now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, and people can find that on justenoughtrip.com, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all the good places, right? Absolutely. Stitcher. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for coming on board. Thanks for having me. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks to Mikan Hana for stopping by. I always like talking about Deep Space Nine. Even if Season 4 is not the strongest year of DS9, in my opinion. Just Enough Trope is a review and discussion show, and it brings you all the news that's fit to cast in the world of nerdy entertainment. You can find out more and hear episodes at JustEnoughTrope.com, as well as on Apple Podcasts and Facebook and Twitter at at JustEnoughTrope. You can find our show at at EISDPod on Twitter and on the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not an Apple Podcasts user, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, we'd be eternally grateful. The Prime Directive is Starfleet's most sacred rule designed to protect less developed cultures from being manipulated or unintentionally influenced by the Federation's exploratory efforts. Although ostensibly altruistic in nature, the first general order given to starship captains does assume an a priori technological and cultural sophistication above the civilizations encountered through exploration. But what if a Starfleet ship discovers a race with more sophistication than even the Federation, one that looks on humanity as an embryonic civilization that needs protection? Writer and producer Eric A. Stilwell joins the show next week to discuss an episode of Star Trek Voyager that he had a hand in creating. And over the course of the show, he shares his experiences of working on Trek, from his early days with TNG, to co-writing Yesterday's Enterprise, to his work on the TNG films. It's Prime Factors, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. (laughs) 